Leo, you were there live at the forum. And you know what? On this podcast, we don't duck anything. And when we're wrong, we own up to it. But sometimes, we just pick the wrong... Um, what is that phrase when you like you die on your cross or whatever? Is that is that the phrase or did I just offend people? I'm not sure. Okay, well, dying you, on this hill. You pick your oh hill yeah, to die yeah, on. that's you die on your hill. And and you know what? Fair play to you. You you since I've known you, you Mexican guy, and never once were you like Canelo's my guy. Never once were you Chavez Junior's my guy. Never once were you even. Um, Antonio DeMarco, Jesse Vargas, any of these other Mexican fighters. And there's a ton that we could pick from. You, from day one, Juan Francisco Estrada. He's been my dude. And, like, most boxing fans are like, Juan, who? Juan Manuel Marquez, you mean? Mini Marquez. Right. Most, like, if you learn about Juan Francisco Estrada, you realize he's a little bit of a mini... Juan Manuel Marquez. Not not exactly. You supported Estrada. And um, this was a big week for you. You know, I didn't go to the fight. You went to the fight. You you were there. Ringside. Got to see your guy live. And um, you talked a lot of crap. Let's just... I sure did. And uh, now you got to face the music, bud. So what happened? Why did... Why did Juan Francisco Estrada lose this fight? Uh, let's see... As I was, I was talking to um, one of our one of the guys in Discord about how it played out, and the analogy that I drew was uh, the old standard, overused, uh, but Canelo Golovkin. Yep, I like where you're going. Keep going. Keep what, going. Like, what kind of offense do you prefer? Like, uh, do you want someone who's pushing forward more, landing, you know, more shots, quantity of shots, body work, or do you like the guy? Who's uh, with tactical retreats? He lands some clean punches upstairs, but they're f- like fewer and further between. So, what do you like? How does that? What's your style preference, essentially? And how did you score it? And and also, so obviously you know you 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 don't like avoid social media, so you know that the response has been that this was a close fight. So, yeah, how absolutely. did you see it? And how did the people around you see it? Uh, I scored it seven to five for Estrada, but there, there was a mixed reaction in the, as, as far as like in the media section, it was a mixed reaction. The crowd obviously, uh, being, you know, being in California, Estrada being a Mexican guy, the crowd wasn't happy with the decision, but, uh, it's upon further reflection, I've had, I've had some time for the, uh, for my, my salt to, to fade away a little bit. I'll be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> well, here's I I put it to good use. Uh, Sunday puncher potato chips are coming out soon. Uh, it, yeah, jokes, jokes. Um, <laughs> so now that I've had time to you know think about it more and reflect on it more, uh, Rungvisai did a great job. He executed his plan really well. He he was a little bulldog in there. He came for he he pushed the tempo just like just like he always does. And he was working the body well. He was landing clean shots upstairs, too. He was setting up good combinations with his body work. And, I mean, he did a good job. Yeah, this is this was the kind of fight that um, 
it's it was just a great fight you know it had everything you want it was fought at a high pace with high caliber guys you saw the shifts in momentum where one guy would clearly win a round and then you'd have three or four swing rounds and maybe you thought one guy won all of those rounds or close to based off of your preference on how you score things and then the uh, the other guy would come back and win a round clearly and it was like okay the fight seemed to to go in a different direction at that point and altogether it was just a great fight and it was a close one and so not without controversy of course um and what would the controversy be um same same controversy controversy that uh canelo golovkin had is that there was a a scorecard that a lot of people did not agree with so this is where i come in really because this is where i want to start things i want to defend that scorecard and the reason why i'm going to defend it is i i think it was okay so based off of what you're looking for if what you were looking for was clean effective power punches that made a difference in each round you would have to score a large majority of the rounds not all of them but a large majority of the rounds to Rungvisai. the reason being when he hit estrada estrada moved estrada reset it was jarring to estrada and and again, I'm, I'm not making the argument that that's what I, how I feel. I'm only saying that it's a plausible scorecard. And if you don't think so, you're probably looking at it like your opinion of how the fight played out is the truth. And the problem with boxing is that no matter how hard you try, how hard you want it to be, or how salty you get, that is not how this sport works. The sport is subjective, and there are guidelines which are meant to be interpreted but cannot be measured in any conceivable way. You can't use counting. You can't, like, we obviously we can't measure the effectiveness of punches. We have body language and other things like that to gauge. And in this situation, Rungvisai was landing the shots that really made a difference in this fight. Never once did I see Estrada look hurt, or sorry, not Estrada, but Rungvisai look hurt or, or basically lost. Now, well, did Estrada outbox him a couple of times? Yeah, there were a few clear rounds where Estrada outboxed him. But for the most part, it looked like Rungvisai was doing what he wanted. Like, I, I one one counter to this is like, well, Estrada was resetting, but, you know, that doesn't mean that the shots were hurting. No, watch Estrada's fights in the past. You have to gauge from the past when it comes to measuring this. And Estrada's not that guy that has to reset when he's hit. He's not that traditional sort of counterpuncher he's that's the like mark marquez. of a marquez style that's it, the mark of marquez is he takes the shot to throw back specifically he has to eat the shot and estrada can do that um look at the marquez fight the tyson marquez you have a guy who is landing on on estrada and if if you've seen that fight before marquez put on a really gutsy performance but estrada was just so much better than him and just lit him up and that's kind of what Estrada does. And that wasn't the case in this fight. Those those shots from Rungvisai clearly had made an impact. And we had the added benefit. And Leo, you didn't see this, obviously. But the translator and what they told, uh, what they talked about on commentary is that Estrada was telling, told his corner specifically, this guy can hit. Meaning, I could feel this guy's power. This guy is, he, you know, he's he's really doing, doing some damage here. So... The scorecard is is not out of 
you know, it's not out of line. I can definitely see giving him nine rounds and a shot at only three. I can see that. It depends on what you're looking for. Now, how did I see it? Differently, of course. Um, but I, and I can also see the, the Estrada seven to five. And this is the mark of a great fight. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't think it's going to happen so much with, um, these two fighters because there's not that much invested, but with Canelo Golovkin, that scorecard by Adelaide Bird basically ruined the fight, um, for, a ruined the, it ruined the fight for people. Because the scorecard was just so ridiculous, according to them, that they discounted 12 rounds of great action. But in this fight, people don't have that much invested in Estrada or Rungvisai. They don't care. It's like, it was a good fight. Whatever. You know, just two little guys. I've seen them fight two times total between the two of them before this. So, like, what do I care? I care. You Ugh. care, obviously. <laughs> and, you, I mean, yeah. you, you act. But, see, here's why you care. Is that you have a lot invested. I said from the start. You know, when I met you, Estrada was your favorite fighter, which I thought was a little odd because I'd never heard anybody say basically any fighter below 118 pounds was their favorite fighter, let alone a guy who at the time I believe was fighting at 108. No, no, he was at 112. No, was oh yeah, no, he was 108. I think he was 108 at the time. Moving, no, he's 112. I think he had both titles at 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 112 at the time. Yeah, he beat Valoria for those, and he moved down to 108 for Gonzalez. Yeah, one, he weight trained him. He robbed him. Y- yeah, I'm I joking. don't know about that. <laughs> okay, so maybe my salt hasn't faded. All right, he just went on rails there. Um, here's another thing that also I I think of, and I my opinion is either that the refereeing was really bad. Or really good. And that was... And I didn't... So I was in Toronto this past weekend. I had really bad internet. So I couldn't stream the fight. And I didn't... Um, I, the hotel didn't have um, HBO Canada. So I had to watch the fights the following day on YouTube. And the it didn't have the in-between rounds. It only had from bell to bell. And didn't have the 12th round. Which was hilarious. I had to find that on some other stream. Anyway, um, I didn't get to see a lot of the replays. And... Um, it was. It looked like there were two slips that could have been knockdowns early in the fight. I believe it was in the first and second round that were not scored knockdowns. And then there was a push later on in the fight, all in a shot of favor um, of Rungvisai going down. Now, I don't know if they were slips or knockdowns because I haven't rewatched the fight. I haven't seen any replays. But the, if, if they were close to it, that could have really shifted the tide of this fight. And um, what did it look like to you? From my vantage point, I didn't, I couldn't tell if they were knockdowns or, or slips or what. So if you know if they could have changed the 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 swing of the fight, then um, I I would probably be more salty than I was than I am now. But I haven't had a chance to rewatch it yet, which was I was hoping to do before we we got on to record today, but I still haven't. So my opinion from Saturday still stands that I I couldn't really tell. Well, let's be honest here. You're going to rewatch the fight like four or five times. Like you're not like you can wait. Yeah. Um, you're going to you, you, do. Here's the question. Are you going to watch it at point twenty five speed to count every single blow just to make sure that we know Ashada actually landed more punches? Uh, yeah. Then I'll go on my uh, tinfoil theories to whoever will listen. Uh, CompuBox rigged the fight. HBO. Uh, the fix was in. The 117-111 is proof positive that the judges were paid off. 
Uh, yeah, I'll go full tin foil with it. Oh, I'm and not, no one actually, will I'm listen. not going to reply to that. No one will listen because it's about fighters that no one cares about. So that's one of the tough parts here is that um, even if there was a robbery here, and I don't think there was, but like, who cares? There was. Who cares? For two reasons: one, because this is 115 pounds, and two, like it was a great fight. We're gonna see a rematch. Yeah, probably. Now, it's likely they rematch each other further down the line. But what we know is that the fight will likely take place um, in Superfly Part 4, which will likely be in the fall. So what should they do in between now and then? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> the, before they rematch each other, uh, Strata should try to get himself a good win. Rungvasai has his pick of the litter. Uh, let's see. He could unify titles with Yafai. Ankahas is... If he wants to get some of that ESPN money, he could try to go to ESPN and fight uh, on Cajas and unify titles. Uh, I I think unifying is like that's just ask like asking too much. Yeah. Here here's the thing. Um, I so just full discretion. This is like our third time recording because um, the first problems. time um, there was too much background noise. Second time audio problems that i luckily caught before we were like way too deep into this where i would have just said i'm not recording this week i don't care um so but um something a point that i made earlier is that um the a lot of the shock with that card is just going back a little bit and i just don't want to forget it and also i didn't want to bring it up in the middle of like discussing wilder ortiz later um but basically a lot of the shock around that card is because HBO has spent a lot of time undermining Rung Visai, not giving him credit. The first time they would not stop talking about the fact that it was clearly a robbery that he had beaten their number one pound for pound fighter, blah, blah, blah. Then the second time around, they're like, oh, he beat Gonzalez because he shot. Gonzalez is old. He's 30 years old. He's um, switched trainers because his trainer died or whatever. And then heading into this fight, you have basically the public thinking, uh, the, the little percentage of the public that actually cares about this, that percentage thinking that, well, Rungvisai is not that good because, you know, he got beat by Quadras, who Estrada beat up. And then his two fights versus Gonzalez, they were basically flukes. So, you know, is Rungvisai good? I don't know. Well, he just went and beat up their their young up-and-coming possibly mexican new cash cow whatever uh obviously well cash cow maybe cat cash a baby cow cash calf yeah maybe that's what he he would be like draw a good local crowd in la kind of thing so i just wanted to say that but let's move on to um i i think it's risky to go and do a unification fight if 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 there's that fight with Estrada there, and it's it's clear that the fight did well. the The crowd was full, wasn't it? Yeah, good it, crowd, great it, crowd. Yeah, the crowd was lively, um, fully in support of Quadras, and I and I anticipate that they'd fully again be in support of him because I think for the casual, for Estrada or Quadras, for Quadras, no, uh, sorry, for Estrada, and for the yeah, casual Buffer move right there. <laughs> um, yeah, no excuse for me. I was not. N- nope. I actually pr- almost got us into a lawsuit. Um, no. Uh, yeah, they were fully in support of Estrada, and I think uh, I think it's really obvious that 
this fight will do similar numbers because I think for the casual fan or the mega Estrada fan such as Leo it's clear that Estrada um, did not get justice on Saturday night don't don't you agree I do and I would definitely like to see them run it back uh, even if they have if he has to wait a little bit uh, he could he could go the uh, the Liam Smith route take take some uh, little no-name fight just to get a get back in the win bracket Oh, come and on. Go, go the WBO route. WBO doesn't allow fighters coming off losses to fight for their titles. Dude, that, that, you, okay, so it's, that's fair. Good reference to Liam Smith. But I will say that that's just the tie way. Go fight in the local mall against some guy who's fought once professionally, knock him out, and then fight another guy two weeks later who's making his pro debut, and then go for a title fight. That's how they roll. I guess uh, Estrada just learned the ways of the tie. So, shout out Pong Sok Lek Song Wang Jung Kem. I think that's how you say his name. Um, or you know, like any of the coquette gym fight. Never mind. He's done it before. He could do that again too. I just think it's 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 kind of tough for these guys who don't get paid a lot and are fighting in a division where the clock is ticking at a much faster rate than say welterweight to be sitting around on the shelf waiting for for um hbo to open up some dates in their limited um schedule and for tom loffler to get all he needs to put that show on but um i mean i'd love uh, you know either of these guys to do um uh, get a title fight or fight somebody with the belt in their next like even estrada estrada doesn't look bad enough that he doesn't look like he belongs in the title picture he looks like he definitely belongs there it's just maybe this was the wrong style for him maybe a fight uh I'm a little higher on Yafai than a lot of people. I, um, you might be. Yeah, and, and and the chat may think this is crazy because they they're like, oh, you, you hate British fighters all the time, but like, I think Yafai is really good. I think Ryan Burnett's really good. Nobody cares about me talking about the British fighters I like, though. We're gonna talk about um a, a British fighter I like later on. Uh, Carlos Quadras um lost to. McWilliams Arroyo. Yeah, our friend from Puerto Rico. Who HBO, like Max was gushing over him, but whatever. Um, th- this was a notable fight for a couple of reasons. One, Quadras is hurt, like, looked like twice in the first round. He did a good job hiding it. And two, HBO commentary blatantly disagreed with Letterman in his face. Now, they used... They, they were very nice about it because he's getting up there in age and you can't disrespect your elders like that. At least that's what my mom taught me unless I wanted to get the, the taste slapped out of my mouth. But, um, yeah, it was obvious that Quadras was getting outboxed, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Are you sure nobody uh, in the media needs to be outed for their scorecard? Oh, there's a certain guy whose name rhymes with fan. Fan Fafiel. Never heard of him. Yeah. Well, yeah, some guy that was named, his, whose name sounds kind of like that. Uh, if I recall, his, uh, his, his card was pretty wide for Quadras. Do you think he was scoring rounds for, like, who had the most back acne? Yeah, if he could count more pimples on you in that round. Did he count a popped pimple as a landed shot? Oh, Jesus, this is getting gross. Because HBO, you say that, but HBO actually took some time to discuss that in the ninth round. So if you were like, wait a second, really? Yeah, go back to the ninth round and watch it. They start like talking about his acne. And Max appropriately brings up the fact that 
in boxing, if someone has uh, back acne, it's usually very suspicious. But Quadras does is not a power puncher, so do you? Th- and he also doesn't have the greatest stamina. So do we think he's um, a dirty fighter or just has, you know, very um, clogged pores in his back? Probably needs a better back scrubber. Or yeah, he. Um, there are facial products that will probably work. Proactive, um, clear soul with charcoal, things like that. So what's next for what's next for Quadras? Um. Okay. Do I come with a hot take here or not? I, well, actually, hot, it's not a hot, hot take. take. It's okay, not a hot take. Hot it's, takes first. Hot takes it's, first. It's more of like I actually you know i care about fighters and like at this point i'm sure quadras could still get paydays but what like are you gonna win for me if i can't do something where i'm sure i have at least a shot at winning i probably wouldn't want to do that and i think there are fights for quadras to win he could fight mcjoe um but i don't think there are too many fights like that for him that would be worth his time. Like, does he really want to go fight like Kevin, Lara in Mexico for not that much money? Um, maybe, but I, I think there's not too much left for him to do in boxing. And the other reason for that is that he keeps switching trainers. He's on his fourth trainer in like six years or whatever. Um, the problem isn't the trainer. And I hope he realizes that the problem's him. He's the, he, he is the, um, uh, I don't know what the phrase is, but he's whatever is in common here in each the of these situations. The common situations. denominator. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he looked completely lost in the fight at times. He looked absolutely like a guy who wanted to do too many things and ended up doing none of them. He got instructions from Abel Sanchez. He went out and did something different. That's the sign of a fighter who's just, they're confused. They're actually running their own show. I mean, he should just go get Chris Eubank Jr. to train him. I can't. I can't imagine a better trainer for him than 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 Eubank Jr. At least Eubank Jr. will give him no advice, so he can just listen to himself. So, I mean, what do you think you should do? It's gonna sound weird. Rematch Gonzalez. <laughs> it's gonna sound weird, but considering his the the circumstance you just outlined, but he needs to find another trainer, and not and not because the problem isn't with him, but because in this case the problem is kind of the coach, and I'll explain why. Abel Sanchez, if you look at his stable, the type of guys that he trains are not at all the type of guy that type of fighter that Quadras is. Golovkin and Gassiev are probably the most popular examples. These guys are like big time punchers, seek and destroy boxer punchers with like massive power, like really great like uh, pressure IQ and shot placement to do maximum damage, and that's not the type of guy that Quadras is. So I don't know. Of course he's not going to be listening to Abel Sanchez because Abel Sanchez is is telling him to do something that's just not in his wheelhouse. That's not the type of fighter Quadras is. He's a little bit more of a a scrappy swarmer type of guy. Well, big, high-volume output, and uh, land, throw, think of like Santa Cruz before he changed his style up in Frampton 2. That's kind of the way that Quadras is, and Abel Sanchez is not the not the type of coach for that. It's I don't know, like um, Amir Khan going to Virgil Hunter. It's just not a good mesh of the that fighter style versus their the the way that the coach 
the, the type of fighter that the coach usually has. Just my, my two cents on the Quadras coaching situation. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good point. Um, that, you know, he's being told to do something that is just really not in his game plan. Oh, classic example of this, by the way, is when Bernard Hopkins, I believe for the Joe Calzaghe fight, had Freddie Roach as his trainer. And Roach is telling him, like, yeah, you need to throw more combinations. And it's like, have you ever seen Bernard Hopkins fight? Combinations aren't really his thing. Like, give him some advice that's more appropriate for him. Like, headbutt him now. Something like that. <laughs> throw an elbow. This is not the the Bernard Hopkins way. I, I agree with you. Um, but, like, Quadras, if uh, unless he's burned some bridges, like, I think a good choice would be to go back to one of his older trainers. Or um, you got to get someone that's really, like, you're just giving giving yourself up to them. Now, I know this isn't the greatest example, but kind of like how Miguel Cotto did with Freddie Roach. It's clear that Freddie Roach, and you can have whatever opinion you, you, you want of Miguel Cotto, but it's clear uh, Freddie Roach was a, actually a really good fit for Cotto. He got Cotto really um, believing in himself again and erased the memory of basically uh, getting his career ended almost by Antonio Margarito. And it's clear, very clear, that he had moments of really good fighting like in the in the Mayweather fight, he he you know put up a hell of a performance despite losing eight rounds clearly, um, but uh, it was a really good fit. And I think Quadras needs something like that too. You know, he can go with any of the trainers that seem to be really good at adapting to a guy's style, like um, Robert Garcia or um, Joel Diaz. But it's it's clear that Abel Sanchez is not really the best fit, and it's nothing against Abel Sanchez. I, I think Abel's a bit of a prescriptive trainer though. As in, he has a formula that he likes to apply to people. That's that's what I'm saying. Don't get that twisted. Please don't at me. Golovkin <laughs> fans. Because I don't care. Go ahead. Uh, we should move on. Yeah? You have nothing else to say on this? Nope. Those would have been my only two picks for uh, if Quadras needs to burn through another coach. Might as well try one of those two. Okay. Uh, again, you did not watch HBO, so this is going to go over your head. But let's talk about Donnie Nietzsche's The Snake did I snake 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 he snaked his way uh, against a snake of a of an opponent with a snaky left hand like did I say snake enough because I think HBO did literally every round we had some reference to a snake pythons and and things like that um and I just wanted to know like do you think his snake could eat him he's not that big yet this has a snake is that why they were talking about it? Oh, my God. So I'm probably going to annoy people listening to this because they're like, oh, here we go. They just, you know, face palm. But so his nickname is Ahas, which in Tagalog means snake. And how he got started in boxing is that he was hired. Uh, he was like a helper or something, whatever, around the gym. And then he, he the, 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 the gym owner, I might be messing this up, though. So remember, um, anyway... Uh, so he became the guy who looked after the snakes and the snakes really liked him or he really liked the snakes. Maybe it was mutual, but the snakes bit him sometimes. So maybe it wasn't that mutual. Anyway, he became friendly with the snakes and then became one with the snakes. And so now he has snakes. He has snake tattoos and he had snakes on his shorts. Like he's fully embraced the life of the snake. Okay. Well, 
and, and <laughs> that's why he beat right. Juan, Car- Juan Carlos Revico. That's here's why the, he beat him? Because he's here, a snake? Here's the amazing thing, okay? So a lot of people don't follow Donnie Nietzsche. Understandable, okay? Understandable. Like, I've seen and met lots of fighters. I followed Nietzsche for a long time. I was like legitimately like, wow, that's Donnie Nietzsche once at a fight when I saw him. It was just, it was at, um, I can't remember. You were what. starstruck? I, I don't want to say I was starstruck because I didn't like ask him for his autograph, but I was like, holy crap, that's Donnie Nietzsche. Like, the only, like, one of the, I can't remember how many times, it's very little though, that I've actually been like, wow, that's this fighter in front of me. Like, I can't believe he, like, holy crap. Um, and, and one of those times is Donnie Nettis. Like, he's just a real good fighter, you know? Not elite, but before Jerwin Ancajas came to the scene, um, Nettis was far and away the best Filipino fighter in the world and has been for several years. Several years. Notice what I just said there. Several years. Okay? So, and we'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that. So, uh, later. Um, so, Nettis comes to HBO. The dude's 35 years old. Fighting at 112 pounds. Like ancient you for know, those weight classes. Exactly. You know who didn't make it to 30? Oh, actually, that's inaccurate to say. Do you know who was knocked out before, like when they were 30? Roman Gonzalez. Donnie Nettis, on the other hand, he's still going. And by the looks of it, going strong because he's never been a knockout guy. Now, he fights these guys who like nine losses. Of course, he knocks them out. But he's never been a guy to knock him out. And he came in and he legitimately beat up Juan Carlos Revico. Were you shocked by this result? Uh, yeah. If you um, read back on our our uh, year 2017 in review, I actually gave uh, Donnie the toughest outlook for 2018, thinking that this guy's he's 35 years old. Uh, the, the Japanese fighters are starting to make some serious commotion. And, I mean, these guys are young, they're really strong, they're skilled, and Donnie's just getting older. So I was really shocked with, with the performance that he put on. Just, I didn't think that he had it left in him. I thought that this, this is, pro- I thought this was probably going to be, you know, his final year in the sport. Try to make as much cash as he still can. I'm glad that HBO brought him on. They're fi- he's finally getting, getting the recognition that he deserves. Yeah, this. I mean, to put this in perspective, Nietzsche is going strong, knocks out Juan Carlos Revico in the biggest fight of his career. But Roman Gonzalez gets knocked out at age 30. Shins- Shinsuke Yamanaka, or Shinsuke Yamanaka, last year, was it? Was it last year or the year before? Knocked out by Luis Neri. Takashi Uchiyama, um, higher weight class. So Yamanaka's at 118. Nietzsche's at 112. Uchiyama at a much higher division, um, he, he gets stopped by Jezreel Corrales of all people. Like looking back now, now knowing what we what we know, that's how bad it was for Uchiyama. That a few years ago, um, you know, he was 36 at the time, 36, 35, same age, but much higher weight class at 130. He goes he goes up against Corrales, who's never been a puncher, and gets knocked out. Like these it's inevitable that when you hit this, when you hit this age, at this at, at in these weight classes, it's real tough to stay competitive. 
And uh, Yaman or not Yamanaka, he definitely hasn't. But Nieta is going strong. This is actually pretty remarkable. Um, and what's next for him? Well, we got to go back to, and it's like the, the history of guys not doing well in this division at this age, it just screams like no way does, is, can he be competitive. And, and I still agree. He's got the toughest outlook of the year because, yeah, you beat, um, you know, Juan Carlos Revico. Well, so did Kazuto Ioka. But, like, how how do you rate his chances against Daigo Higa? Actually, we've renamed him Diego Higa because he fights like a Mexican. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm going to use it. How does he fight or how does he fare against Artem Delakian who beat um, Brian Valoria on the undercard? Ooh, I missed that one. I wasn't in the venue yet for uh, Delakian. I was interested to see specifically to see who, like whoever won would probably might be next for, for Donnie. So would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, but here's the thing. Delakian, 30 years old. True. Andrew Selby, 29 years old. These are guys who are, who right at the top. If I'm near this, I'm just looking like who's the oldest guy that's still like that's still in this in this conversation, Marudi Mithilani of South Africa. That's the guy I want. Valoria is 37. By the way, holy cow! In case you're like Marudi Mithilani, what? This guy knocked out Zoleni Tate, and the and the only one that's beat him is Nonito Donaire at like the height of Donaire's powers. So. You know, not bad. He's also like almost exclusively fought in South Africa, but whatever. You didn't hear that. Anyway, so I, I definitely want to see more from Nietes. Mithilani, I think, is the natural opponent that I would choose if I was him. Um, and let's move on. I, I wanted to touch on whether the fact that the Superfly cards in general have been a success. What do you think? Um, I think ratings wise, they actually did pretty decently. I had the numbers in front of me a second ago, but they were somewhere in like the, they, they, I think they peaked at 750,000 and they averaged like 690, I want to say. So, I mean, considering that it's little guys, that's actually a really good number. It's okay, Uh, but it's actually a lot lower than Gonzalez's numbers when he was headlining. Then uh, Superfly won. Yeah, that's what happens when you um, undermine the guy who might end up winning. Undermining the main event? Probably not a good idea. I mean, that's why you always put over both guys and you never make excuses for why a guy loses. But like, you know, I don't run a network, so you don't have to listen to me. When I do run a network, trust me. Anyway, um, but so number, I I mean, you have a point numbers wise it's pretty crazy that the super flyweights and flyweights previously pulled the numbers that they pulled. But I think the numbers are declining and I'm not sure that um, they can like they can go any higher because HBO on the whole, their numbers are declining in general and they're doing less and less. So, um, it's it's uh, it's a really interesting um, where this goes. I, they put a lot of um, they did a, a real good job trying to sell 
and put over Inoue as the next crown jewel of this. But obviously with this plans to move to 118, that kind of makes it tough. And I, I've heard that they do want to show Inoue's next fight, some of one of his fights, but like... Yeah, Loeffler expressed interest in that. But expressing interest and then actually getting him is a, a whole different thing. And it's clear Inoue has like, he has what he needs in Japan. And there's no, like, Gonzalez emerged as a name, which made it um, attractive for him to, uh, you know, be an opponent. I don't see Inoue looking at uh, Rung or um, any of the guys at 118 and saying, that's the name I want to fight because they're not fighting on HBO. Yeah, he in a way doesn't have to concede too many points. He's a he's a star in Japan, isn't he? Yeah, everyone wants to fight him. He is the A side here. Yeah, so he has his pick of the litter. So yeah, um, let's move on. Um, and this is a, a a conversation that we uh, well, there's no easy way to do this conversation. So. Um, Manny Pacquiao, there's a rumor that Manny Pacquiao may go into his next fight without Freddie Roach as his trainer. Um, what's your take on this? Um, my take on this is that Manny Pacquiao, at this stage of his career, he's done pretty much everything that he needs to do. He's learned everything he's needed to learn. I don't, I don't even want to watch him fight really anymore. That I don't really want to see him that much. Like I'm not. If you told me, oh. Manny Pacquiao's fighting. Oh, all right. Well, do I have anything more important going on? No? All right, I'll watch a Manny Pacquiao fight. It's not this, this isn't the same guy from, you know, seven, eight years, ten years ago. It's not the same guy. I'm not as excited. So him leaving Freddie Roach, I mean, what more does Freddie Roach really have to teach him? Oh, you think it's one of those things. Um... Yeah, what more, what more does Manny Pacquiao need to learn? Like, he's been, he's had, he had a long string of success. Fighting the fighting under the the, you know the tutelage of Freddie Roach and he's they had a really successful partnership and relationship and I mean what more does he need? What more does he need from Freddie Roach? What more does he need from boxing in general? Um, yeah, I I, I have I looked at it from a different perspective, um, and that is that I think one Freddie Roach knows he's done. And Freddie is basically like, I, I don't want anything to do with this anymore, dude. Like, this is me showing you love and saying, I, I can't do this anymore. Not with you because it's not going to end well. And the other thing is that um, it, it the good thing is that it gives Manny an excuse to explain why he's going to lose his next fight. Should he lose? And is the potential high that he loses? Yeah. Even to Mike Alvarado. Mike Alvarado can punch. Uh, can he still? Uh, did he not drop Marquez? And did he not like have the knockout of the year against that guy he fought last time? The guy was out before he hit the ground. Like Alvarado can still, he can still bang. Now, does he have any punch resistance? Not much, but can Manny still punch? I would say that Manny's punch is d- diminished more than Alvarado's has, for sure. Now, are you saying that this fight is competitive? Yeah. Oof. 
And, There's a hot take, buddy. And here's the thing. Manny Pacquiao is done. Like, absolutely done. Now, does that mean that he wasn't good? Or, or he isn't good? No. But the Manny Pacquiao that you know, he's gone. He ain't As ever I coming said. back. As I said, and, Manny Pacquiao of yesteryear, that's not the guy you're watching. And just to you know, put Manny over, it's a testament to how good he was that it literally took years for people to start to realize that he's gone. For some people, it didn't happen until the horn fight that people realized Manny Pacquiao is no longer Manny Pacquiao. And there, to some, that wasn't even the moment. Uh, yeah, there might still be some stands out there. There's still a contingency. That, yeah, that's still think, a contingency. think it was a blatant robbery. And look, I don't agree with the decision. I've said on this podcast many times before, Manny Pacquiao won that fight. Um, And, and maybe there's a little bit of like, I still... Like, you know, got sentimental feelings for Manny. But the the point is, he's gone. And Pacquiao without Roach is really a way to save face. Um, and it helps. Also, everyone wins in this situation. The only one that doesn't win is Manny because he's, you know, could lose the fight. But anyway, that's really it. I mean, it's obviously not a fun topic to talk about. Nobody wants to really, like, really, if you're a boxing fan, you don't really want to talk about the end of Manny Pacquiao. Like, one of the most fun runs that we've seen in the history of the sport. Um, what Definitely. he was able to do. Uh, Hugo Centeno is out with an injury. He injured his ribs. So he was supposed to fight Jamal Charlo um, this coming Saturday. Instead, he'll fight nobody. And Jamal Charlo will fight nobody. So, um, yeah, Fight's that's... rescheduled. It's rescheduled? When? 421. 421. The uh, Broner... Ooh. Cent- the Broner card. Broner Figueroa. That that's a they should have put that card on 420. It would have been so appropriate. What <laughs> uh, it? You should have like Chavez on that, shouldn't you? Um, it's not too late to get Chavez in shape. You don't. Ha- Nobody said anything about getting him in shape. <laughs> okay, and they have a theme going on. So they got Omar Figueroa Jr. fighting Adrian Broner, Hugo Centeno Jr. fighting Jamal Charlo, Gervonta Davis needs a junior. If they could get a junior, like, obviously, he won't be fighting Robert Easter Jr. Because, um, I mean, that's, like, the first one that popped up. That'd be easy. But I'm just looking through BoxRec to see if I can find a junior at 130. None on page one. But he really should look into fighting a junior. I think that's the best option here. And they have this whole thing of, like, um, where are we going with this? I don't know. He could pull Gary Russell Jr. up from 26. Um, that If that fits your theme. It does. Um, the only thing is, like, does Gary Russell Jr. even care about boxing? I don't know. No. Like, was he featured in the PBC, like, forward? No. You know why? Because they forgot he exists. And you know what? Gary Russell Jr. probably doesn't even realize he's a boxer anymore. He doesn't watch the fight. So, like, the, I had to go to page seven to find Gabriel Flores Jr. He's a 17-year-old uh, from Stockton, California. Don't this do might, that to him. This, this might be one to watch. He's 6-0 and with six knockouts. Now, granted, opponent combined record of 11, um, 6, 8, 9. 11-9. Why do you want to hurt this kid? I never said I wanted to hurt him. I just said that 
You want to watch him get hurt instead? No. Well, you know, he's six and zero. Oh. He he and all knockouts except for one. Um, you know, Jorge Padron, known for his uh, stellar chin. Um, but yeah, Gabriel Flores. We should adopt him. He's seventeen. Born in two thousand. Wow. Wow. Christ, I'm old. Um. It, ooh, his his manager slash agent is Gabe Flores Senior. We'll have to hit him up. He's probably on Facebook. Anyway, Dana White meets with Mikey Garcia and Robert Garcia. Now we would talk about this, except we don't talk about Dana White on this podcast. Go listen to Brandon Schaub for all that boxing insight. That's actually probably the first time we've ever name dropped another like boxing writer that isn't Dan Raphael. So like, um, good for him. But I'm sure he can spread all his boxing knowledge with you and talk about angles from MMA and stuff, whatever. Um, but we have fights to um, preview for you guys. Daniel Roman will fight Rio Matsumoto. That fight will probably happen before um, you get this podcast, mostly because it's late. Well, it's really late on the East Coast right now on Tuesday night, and the fight's going to happen early Wednesday morning. They made wait. Um, Daniel Roman will make his first defense there. And then the fight we will talk about, Luis Neri versus Shinsuke Yamanaka. That one is the following day. This is a rematch. This is also a very sad situation. Really sad. And why is because Yamanaka's on the decline, and it's, like, super obvious. He was, like, before the Neri fight, I wrote, Yamanaka is going to get beat Within the next two fights, it might happen this week, uh, you know, obviously the week before the fight, or it will happen in his next fight, but he will lose. The signs and symptoms were there. Yes, he beat Anselmo Moreno in a rematch, but Yamanaka has a god left hand. So, you know, he landed it. So, Neri beat him, as expected. And then, and Yamanaka was like, yeah, I'm done boxing, you know, I, I retire I'm I'm done, et cetera, et cetera. Then he tests positive, Luis Neri. And then Yamanaka's like, oh, well, you know, he tested positive. So technically I wasn't really beat by by a, a mortal man. I was beat by, you know, steroids and stuff. Drunk so, cheat. So therefore, I'll have to come back and whoop this guy. But the reality is Yamanaka, he didn't, he didn't really need the PEDs to beat you. And now you got to go out there and risk your life, your Alleged health. PEDs, sir. How is it alleged? I don't, I don't know. I was just trying to you, ruffle your feathers a little bit. Are you trying to quote Gleb? I mean, you're not going <laughs> to ruffle my my feathers, but you're going to talk about idiots in the chat who claim that things don't happen because there isn't substantial proof that they've seen. Wait, is who's the one that says that they have proof but never showed the proof? Uh, that's Gleb versus Rollins. Well, I mean, I know the feud, but um, didn't one of them say that they actually have proof, but they've never rendered such? Uh... Yeah, I think that was Gleb. Oh, okay, yeah, just, just, just checking. Um, so, yeah, anything you want to say about this one? Uh, no, I, I, I wish it wasn't happening. Like, I watched the one, the first one, the day after. I, I somehow avoided social media for it. I mean, it's some fight in Japan. They're like what one eighteen. So I mean. Mostly nobody cares, but still, I I didn't have it spoiled. I watched it, and then I saw the ending. It's like, damn, the end of an era. Yeah, Yamanaka was riding high for a long time. Yep, watch your back, Rungvisai. 
<laughs> and uh, it's over. And I, I don't see this going any better for Yamanaka. Uh, I, I'd wish he didn't take the rematch, but I guess he's because of the, the drug, te- the drugs test, the clenbuterol. Uh, I guess he feels that he, he was cheated. So he's, I don't know. What does Girito mean? Huh? Girito. What does that mean? Girito. Yeah. Come on, you spo- you know Spanish. You're supposed to know. Like my Spanish is like nowhere near your level of Spanish. Um, obligated, I think. Is it G I R I T O? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obligation. Ob- obligated. Okay, because there's this. Um, okay, this is like pathetic of me, but um, there's this boxer on um who's like four and three right now, and that's his nickname. He's from Mexico, so like the obligation. Is- yeah. Like, I guess maybe he was forced into, like, slavery, like Anakin Skywalker, kind of. And it, what he does is he boxes. Instead of, yeah, instead of pod racing, he boxes? Well, yeah. Although, technically, nobody really wanted Anakin to to race. Like, his, his owner, I think his owner was the guy with the wings. He never actually told Anakin, like, go race and win. Because he crashed his pod. You can't keep a winner down. So, I mean... This is an odd nickname. I knew it was a weird one because, like, I know enough Spanish to know, like, all the, basically, like, I know what the, literally, the only Spanish nickname that I really had trouble with that I had to Google was Alacran. I didn't know that that was Scorpion. Doesn't really fit um, uh, Burchelt. Anyway, um, Ryosuke Iwasa will fight Ernesto Saulong, which is, like, your typical defense against the Filipino guy who comes over. I think he's Filipino. Um I should just double check that. Um, but he's fighting the Filipino guy who is coming over to get a shot at a title. This is what all the Japanese fighters do. It's equivalent to um, Eddie Hearn in Argentines. So, you know, he could beat him. He could beat him. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I, Iwasa was not seen as, um, uh, it was not seen as very likely to beat uh, Yukinori Oguni when they first met whatever jason velez you remember him right jason velez yeah should i yes we're going somewhere jason velez puerto rican guy he fought on hbo a few times um promoted by miguel cotto he uh drawing a hard blank here he beat jason velez or sorry he beat Jojo D or he didn't beat he um lost to Jojo Diaz but he drew with Evgeny Gradovich which was the start of Evgeny Gradovich like being sh- shot no okay well he's gonna fight Juan Manuel Lopez this weekend should old fighters with like a bunch of losses be allowed to fight each other yeah they're they're like the perfect people who should be fighting each other why maybe because they both understand that the other is just as likely to develop some, you know, traumatic brain injuries. So, you know, they just go out there and have have a good time. Okay. Um, I don't I don't know. I really tried to make that work and I couldn't. I mean, I guess like, you know, they're not taking any young person's opportunity, so I guess that's cool. Um and they're going to draw a bunch of people to in the Puerto Rico to see them fight. And all these young guys on the undercard maybe get some new fans. That's the only thing I can think of when you when these kind of fights happen. 
Um, Kel Brook is coming back, speaking of old guys fighting, returning, who are done, um, is returning to fight Sergei Rabchenko. Is Let he me, that old? No, but um, he's done. But uh, I'm going to pose the question of, like, do you actually think that Kel Brook has a chance to return to some level of title contention? At 54? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Definitely not. Uh, why? Why at 54? Well, okay. So... There He does in a roundabout way, and I don't like that it's actually within the realm of possibility. But realistically, his options are no fights have happened yet. If he were to fight one of the, the current champions this weekend, his options are Lara, Hurd, and Charlo. I favor Brooke in all those fights. That is like, that's like a, a steaming, piping hot take. Holy oh, crap. I'm just trying to be like the general Discord channel. All right. Um, and then Shout out to the British people. <laughs> and he's got Saddam Ali, who I, I'm pretty sure is on his way, if not signed, to fight uh, Liam Smith. So, I mean, if he takes the winner of that, I guess he's got a shot at a title. Maybe. We'll see how he does uh, against Rabchanko. Rabchanka. Rabchanka. Like, Rabchanka? Like, so it? we've been spelling his name because like this is a completely different spelling of his name than uh it used to be. It used to be Sergey Rabchenko. Now yeah, it's Sergei Rabchanka. Yeah, like, I thought it was did, Rabchenko. I saw this and I got confused. Like what his mom call him? I'm gonna call him what his mom called him. <laughs> so those are like realistically his only option is the WBO route. Um Otherwise, no, he doesn't have a, excuse me, a shot at a title at 154. The the unified champion of Lara Hurd is, they're either going to carve him up like a roast or they're going to just bash his brains in. And if he fights Charlo, then that he gets That won't be his, hard. It's soft around the eyes, you know, from Then he gets injuries. his brains bashed in again. Um. I think there's a possibility that if Saddam Ali doesn't sign that Liam Smith fight, he could sign a fight with Kell Brook, and potentially, I wouldn't rule it out that Saddam Ali would lose to Kell Brook. I just am really paranoid. Like, again, I care about fighters. I'm really paranoid about Kell's eyes. And just the, the, like, I mean, he could go blind. Yeah. It ain't worth it. Not when you have Amir Khan potentially down the line. So if I'm Brooke, I might have picking a lighter puncher. You know, Rabchenko's got a 71% KO percentage. Um, four of his last five wins have all come by knockout. And if you go back further, you can say that uh, five, six of his last seven fights have come by knockout. Um, but also he has losses to Tony Harrison and Anthony Mundine. So that should kind of like make you feel okay if you're a Kell Book friend. Uh, but I really think it's extremely difficult for him to rebuild himself into title contention. Agreed. Um, Sergey Kovalev on HBO that night is going to fight Igor Mikhalkin. HBO doing what they do best and consistently giving us the fights that we want to see. Kovalev. I'm so excited for this. Like I'm kind of shaking in anticipation right now. Okay, well, you and uh, Luis Ortiz both, except Ortiz <laughs> is not in anticipation. It's in fear. Just kidding. Um, but 
how much is this win going to be worth for Kovalev? Like, if he beats McCulkin or McCaken, McCulkin. McCulkin. Does it place him atop that 175-pound division? Uh, it's not a quality win. And on that same card, there's a better fight. Well, okay, well, short and to the point. Yeah, uh, this isn't a good win for him. I think this they're still rebuilding the Kovalev brand. And um, maybe they're trying to take Kovalev's mind off of a certain set of losses that he's taken in uh, recent memory. Isn't it crazy, though, that Kovalev loses twice to one of the best pound-for-pound fighters of this generation? And they have to rebuild him. And they're rebuilding a guy who is a title holder and is also was also one of the best pound for pound fighters before he went into the last into his last so yeah it's (sighs) a little weird little weird like just kind of a lot of mixed signals here i don't think it's so much like a brand rebuild for the public so much more that it is a maybe a, a confidence rebuild for kovalev get Make the crusher feel like the the crusher again. That, that's and see, that's crazy to me because Kovalev before the ward fights always seemed to me like to be a guy that would never have a problem with confidence. But what he's really fallen into is the classic bully mindset of when somebody stands up to him, they cower and you know need their mommy. And uh, yeah, so put him in front of guys that have a respectable records. You know, just on paper, it looks all right and have him get bopped out by Kovalev, and he's feeling the crusher feels like the crusher again. Would you be shocked if Kovalev lost? Would I be shocked? Yes. I, I've never heard of this dude he's fighting before. Oh, come on. Everybody knows Igor McCulkin. Don't tell me uh-huh. you, you've never heard of him. Oh, woe is me. How? <laughs> Pardon me, Igor. How could I have missed you? He beat Thomas Wusteisen. Oh, he beat uh, who, Patrick Bois. <laughs> Quality wins, bud. Hey, man, this guy travels around the world and beats up people wherever he goes. He's beat up people in France, Germany, Dudu Sweden, Russia, <laughs> um, and then the flag with the red and white stripes. Whichever one that is, I don't know. Really, yes. I don't know. It could be... Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. Don't know. It's in Austria. Oh, I was going to say um, Poland. No, close, but not quite. But uh, yeah, let one of his opponents' name roll off the tongue. Dudu Umgumbu. Shout out to you for saying that, because I'm looking at the name, and it actually looks like you're saying it right. But let's also not forget, let's really not forget the fact that Dudu, he fought him three times. <laughs> this guy's only 21 and one and he's fought Dudu and Gumbu three times. And the first two times were close fights, a majority decision and a split decision, uh, not in favor of Dudu. And then the third time, um, Igor, which was his last fight, um, it, it Dudu was 37 and seven at the time. <laughs> he's coming off a unanimous decision win to Dudu and Gumbu. I mean, it was a real good win. Um, Dudu. The IBO is the IBO title. Dudu is never runny in fights. Um, <laughs> seven losses. This is not a crap record. This is legit. Wow. 
Dudu, Dudu fought a lot of guys like with names. Just some of the guys that Dudu has fought. Umar Salamov. Now you may be saying, who the hell is Umar Salamov? Uh, He's twenty and one. Lost to Damian Hooper, who's like, all right. Um, Beat Marcus Brown in the amateurs. Mohamedi. Yeah, Andrew Fonfara, who you may remember um, from his uh, uh, what do you call uh, two fights with Adonis Stevenson. Pavel, oh yeah, Glaze, Glaze Wooski, um, uh, Chalemba. Yep, Isaac Chalemba. Uh, naturally, and, uh, in uh, in all Isaac Chalemba fights, it looks like it was a close one. And uh, he also fought Charles Chisamba. Oh yeah, the formidable, the formidable Charles Chisamba for the African Boxing Union title. Don't disrespect the African Boxing Union title. ABU title. That's I actually own the um, Walter Waite version of that title. Oh boy! I uh, fought so some yeah. dude in a in a in a park for it. So to uh, to get back to it, uh, Kovalev, this this win doesn't do much for me. And uh, perfect segue. There's a better fight on the undercard. Yep, that is Dimitri Bivol versus Sullivan Barrera. Now here's the thing: Bivol hurts guys early in fights. Sullivan Barrera. Loves to get hurt early in fights because whenever he gets hurt early in a fight, he seems to come back and get superpowers and become the second coming. Except for that time he fought Andre Ward, but naturally, Ward's... he got a lot smarter after that one. Yeah, he he just like he developed a lot as a fighter after losing to Ward. Yeah, I mean, it, you could say that losing to Ward was good for him because he really learned a lot about the sport. Um, but We'll see if that is something that happens to Andre Ward opponents when we see Kovla fight McCalkin and McCalkin takes him 12 rounds. But um, who do you favor in this fight? Uh, it's tough. Um, Bivol is, he's got a really impressive resume just with a lot of stoppages. I honestly haven't seen his fights that have gone the distance. So that's what I, I would like to see more. Oh, those are the ones I'd like to see before giving you giving i guess a, a better answer than i could right now but right now i guess i'd have to go with uh sullivan on experience if i had to give a if i have to give a hard answer right now uh it's sully b mm, i like that and this is this fight is one of those fights where um so you're basically gonna judge this fight off of two things in bivel's case projection how good you think he is because realistically we don't really know how good Bivol is what has he done to prove that he's good other than punch hard against guys that he was supposed to knock out in Barrera's case you're 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 judging based off of how bad he could potentially be in the fight because we know that when guys have power Barrera tends to taste it and we also know that he gets better. But the question is, we project Bivol to be a tremendous puncher. Is he too big of a puncher for Barrera? That's I can't the question. Reason, yeah, you can't. I don't think you can reasonably answer that based on what, you, what we've seen. Just my two cents on that question. Yeah, and that's why this is a really interesting matchup because there's... Well, there are, there are some predictable ways that it could go, but it's nothing is completely likely. Like, we have predictable ways fights can go. Ortiz could knock out Wilder, or Wilder could knock out Ortiz. But it's in 
but there's a lot of mystery in how that might come down. And in and in some events where we have fights like this where it looks kind of predictable, um, we end up getting results that are odd that we didn't anticipate. Um, let's, let's throw back to Sergey Kovalev. When he fought Ward, the options were Ward will clearly outbox him and turn him into a clueless boxer. Or sorry, not a clueless boxer, a clueless slugger. You could say the same thing about the Hopkins fight as well. Or Kovalev is going to steamroll him. And what ended up happening was that Kovalev um, in both fights showed that he can box. And in the Hopkins fight showed that he was actually way better of a boxer than we than we got. And then in the Ward fight, what we didn't account for is that Ward would get dropped and get a lot better as the fight went on. So, um, and I don't, those, in these are things that you don't see. You know, it's hard to predict that stuff. And I think in this fight, we don't know enough about either of these fighters to really gauge how this is going to play out. And this is why boxing is fun. Um, fights like this where you don't know what's going to happen and anything can happen. And then you get the decision that, of course, you don't want because obviously the guy that you like or want to win will not win. So that's my take on this fight. Moving on, Andre Durrell versus Jose Uzcategui. This is a rematch. Does any does do either of these guys have an edge coming into this one? Um, I didn't watch the first one honestly. The only thing I heard about it was the the I think it was Darrell's cousin or something or his uncle uh, punched I think the the other guy. Yeah, that's really all I remember about this. So I'm gonna have to let you rant. Well, I don't. I don't. I. The fight wasn't that well. Was it good? I, I don't, don't know. know. I can't remember. Just the Durrells are always so out of pocket that uh, they fight once and you're like, oh, was that was that Andre? Was that An- was that his brother? Yeah. So that's uh, one I, problem that they have. I don't remember which one it was, and they like it's like they leapfrog each other on when they fight. Like one fought in 2016, then the other one fought in 2017. So then you don't remember which one actually fought the last time. And, oh, this is a rematch, but who? why are they rematching? I don't... Did he actually fight him? I have no idea. The Durrells need a box more. Well, they need to be more entertaining because I can't remember if this was a good fight or not. I can't remember what the what the hell happened in was this fight. Was the fight good or was it just the, the uncle punch that was good? Yeah, well, that's kind of... Um, clouded the judgment i guess you could say here so it's it's a really tough um call on this one i'm really not looking forward to it because if i can't remember maybe it just wasn't that good of a fight and like if you're not if it's not a good fight and that's why the charlo centeno fight was so good to have it in this position because the fight everybody wants to see is up next and um, this is going to be one of those fights where it's like kind of like antsy the whole time because it's like we, you know, let's let's get to the main fight here. Let's get it over with. Yep, and and that is Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz. Um, who do you have in this one, and why? Uh, okay, so hot take for me. The hot take answer is Wilder because this is America, goddammit. it! And I'm so su- <laughs> I'm supporting the American. He's going to knock that commie bastard. Back to where he came from. That's uh, my hot take for that. 
do you also want to say that you like served in the military and stuff and like yeah, you would actually lose veterans benefits if you said anything else? <laughs> yeah, uh I mean I guess you've mentioned that at some point to me that I don't really come off as a as a like a typical veteran guy. So that might be why yeah, I should probably add that in. I uh I'm a veteran served in the Marine Corps. Uh no big deal. But yeah. That's uh that's my reason for picking Deontay Wilder. Well, did you and, spread freedom though? Uh, I spread freedom with all a, over the goddamn planet. With a, what are your guns? What kind of guns do you get? I had an M4. So did you spread freedom with your M4, or did you uh, use a drone? No, I didn't use drones. That would have been kind of cool. Eh. Anyway, drones Deontay cool. Wilder. Deontay Wilder, yeah, he's going to be the fucking drone, and he's going to drop a monstrous right hand, uh, like a missile of a right hand, and he's going to blow that commie bastard out of the water. I mean, it's appropriate. He's going to die faster than Stavern did. Okay. um, I don't know if I'm, like, completely cool with you um, accusing Stavern of dying in that fight. I don't think that's Has anyone heard from him since? Yeah, good point. Um, Didn't think so, bud. He and Rigandau are both buried in the desert somewhere. Well, Rigandau's buried in the desert because Bob Aaron paid him off and then, oh, nah, nah, shut up. Um, yep. Uh, so many lawsuits, man. So many lawsuits. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm all messed I'm up. I'm having audio issues. It's okay. All right. If it's me, it's okay because my audio comes direct from my microphone. And then the audio. Um, so from... well, I sound like shit, but. No, you sound good. Oh, okay then. All right. So it might have just been me, my yeah. headphones or something. No, you you sound like the, um, the way Luis Ortiz fights. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh, this shit. Is, I was uh... going to have to defend Luis Ortiz then. Yeah. See, this is what I'm really good at that people don't. I don't know if a lot of people pick up on is that. I can force these guys who are on the podcast. I can just back them into defending a position that they don't want to. I'm like real sly about it. Um, and Leo almost fell for the bait. But luckily, if I would have shut up, he would have started defending Ortiz. I was, I wanted to, but I would have prefaced it saying, well, oh shit, no, I have to defend Ortiz. So. Yeah, but you do have to defend him. So yeah, I do have, uh, actually I have an article that's, I wrote this when the fight got reannounced, and uh, so it's going to be making the rounds on uh, social media. Wait, didn't you write it originally and then just like kind of tweak it because? Uh, yeah, the I wrote it before the first fight, and then you know it obviously got canceled. Then they reannounced it, so I just I just polished it up, uh, updated it. I guess is a better term. I updated it, and it it was re-released when they announced it the second time. So I'll be a. Uh, I didn't push it out on social media or anything yet. So if you're subscribed to the site, to our website, which you should be, but if you're Facts. not, it's out there. Uh, it'll be making the rounds on social media tomorrow. Um, otherwise, you've already seen it at this point. I mean, a question I have for this fight is how old is Luis Ortiz? Like, Boom. really, dude? Question two on my article. So it, possibly... You had a mutation in your um, your DNA, which gave you a predisposition to have an excess amount of red blood cells, which would make it 
you know, give you advantages if you were like training at altitude because your cells would clearly hold more oxygen than normal persons like me. But that comes at a cost. You get that extra ability to get oxygen into your bloodstream, but your blood is like syrup, Aunt Jemima, Mrs. Butterworth, something like that. You got that thick blood and you have high blood pressure. So naturally, you need to take some blood pressure medica- medication. Um, uh, and, you know, you take blood pressure medication because, you know, you don't want to die. You don't want to die. And uh, therefore, um, that's not good. Uh, and, like, is it possible? Oh. Um, how do I want to say this without seeming... Uh, I don't know how I want to say this, um, but basically, you know, is it possible that that's just what's happening and that he's a normal, regular, fifty-something-year-old um, Cuban fighter, or is he really like fifty, really fifty? And um, this is like literally a bad idea for him to be getting into the ring at this advanced age, where he has to take blood pressure medication. Ooh, ooh, doggy. Yeah, it's a it's a really tough ask of it, whether he's actually what is it thirty eight that he says. Even um, if he's actually thirty eight, that's still actually old. So it doesn't really matter whether he's thirty eight or forty eight because he's still an old man. And uh, KO one Deontay Wilder, uh, and still. Do you really think that? Um... Wilder would knock him out like in the first round. No. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just. Keep, I'm continuing on with my hot take because this is America, goddammit. And Deontay Wilder is the American heavyweight champion. He's going to win. I mean, true. That's facts. He is the the heavyweight champion. Um, and just if you're curious, the blood pressure medication that he was taking, I believe was and there are various types of blood pressure medications that you could take and the i guess the brand the type of medication that he was taking he was taking um two types um and they're of the diuretic um the diuretic type the plot thickens because there are different types of blood pressure medications like you can get um, medications that are beta blockers or or diuretics like that's basically how they um they handle the uh i guess blood pressure i mean he could have also i don't think i think those are the ones i could be wrong like i'm not a pharmacist i think we do have somebody who does pharmacy stuff in our chat and we could maybe chat them up on this but um from my history of taking um blood pressure medications no i've never taken blood pressure medications but um yeah uh, the the one that would I think would be kind of like a red flag was if it was like a beta blocker because something kind of um, jars my memory of actually he might have been taking a beta blocker actually just gonna put that out there the no I don't think so the plot double thickens it's it's really weird that he would be like I get it if you're taking. But how did he get sanctioned by a doctor if you have a blood pressure problem to, to fight in a professional fight? That's the That was the results of the hearing with WBC, uh, VADA. That was, that was one of the outcomes. 
was a neutral doctor needs to observe his uh his heart health as he trains and, and needs to uh, he the 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 neutral doctor needs to supply the medic medications and the dosages and all that i'm pretty sure he was taking the diuretic variation of blood pressure medication um but you can at me on this one if if i'm wrong or if like you got some insight into blood pressure medications like say you're on blood pressure medications or something definitely let me know but anyway should that be the case and this this is really like well let's let's break this down a little bit okay so just looking at what Luis Ortiz has done recently. Last three opponents. Daniel Martz, David Allen, and Malik Scott. And I would say for about um, 12, 15, 15 rounds out of the total um, 20-something rounds that he's fought in these last three fights, he's only looked really good for about f- maybe a few rounds. Now, he, he outboxed and won all the rounds from Malik Scott, but Malik Scott was, like, terrible in that fight. Like, he didn't want to get knocked out, and he didn't. He got knocked down, but he was not... Luis Ortiz couldn't put him away. David Ellen gave him hell. It was a dreadful fight, and Ortiz stopped him, but it really looked like he wasn't going to be able to stop him. And then Martz obviously was there to get knocked out, took the fight on, like, three minutes' notice. So, whatever, we're not even going to d- discuss that fight. Who took a fight on shorter notice? Duhapas versus Povetkin or Martz versus Ortiz? That's, that's, um, I don't know, man. Duhapas like, didn't Duhapas, even have boxing shoes. Well, he, he literally left from his house um, and just <laughs> went to the, to the arena. They, they, they told him it was a sparring session and he got, he got there and there was a bunch of people and he was like, whoa. Uh, and Daniel Martz, I don't know. Like, I think Daniel Martz was at the racetrack that day actually, um, you know, betting on races. And then they said, we need an opponent for Luis Ortiz. And he's like, I'm a big dude. I'm six foot seven. They call me the mountain. I think I can do this. He lost. So um, I don't know. That's a, that's a really tough one. I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board on this one and draw up some reasons and, and pros and cons and, and come up with the proper line on this one. Um, but so if Ortiz is anything like the way he's been recently, Ortiz is going to lose. And the the thing is, what Luis Ortiz has is, um, I guess a lot of people think that he can. He's still one of those Cuban boxers who, even if he can't bomb a guy out, he could at least win a decision because he can outbox Wilder. But the thing is, Wilder is so dangerous. He's been outboxed before. He lands a right hand, the fight is over. And so, can Luis Ortiz do anything to take Wilder's power away? Because as long as Wilder's still got his right hand, this fight is like literally to the until the final bell sounds, Wilder is perhaps the most dangerous opponent anybody can get in the ring with. Would you say that's fair? Absolutely. So th- that's what makes this one real interesting. And there's a lot of things that this fight will affirm. Like if Wilder wins, well, do, well, actually, do we know that Wilder's legit if he wins? Or are we going to hear the typical, well, Ortiz wasn't that good to begin with that we typically hear when somebody that isn't a fan favorite um, wins against an opponent that should be a reputable, legitimate, etc. opponent for them? I mean, before David Allen and uh, Malik Scott 
when that was Luis Ortiz's short stint with Matchroom when I think he was the WBA regular champ and uh, obviously AJ being the super champion. And uh, Ortiz was getting a lot of prodding up during that time. And when he was, you know, in the the realm of possibility as an opponent for AJ, that's when Ortiz was like the most dangerous, uh, avoided heavyweight ever. And he has Cuban school of boxing, you know, all all those types of uh, elevations. And now that he's fighting Wilder, the obvious number two who everybody wants to see fight AJ, and he's going to knock him out in one round also, um, now suddenly he's an old man. He's not that good to begin with. Now we're hearing about all these problems that Ortiz actually has that he, he... these are, you know, observations that people have made before. But now that he's going to legitimize your future adversary, now you got to start doing damage control. And this is one of the really interesting and annoying things in boxing is how narratives really alter based off of who the favorite is or fan favorite is um, in the discussion. Because you said... When it's Wilder Ortiz, Ortiz is a different guy than when it's AJ Ortiz. Um, AJ versus Joseph Parker will definitely alter um, if it's AJ versus Tyson Fury. like, Or if it's, it's Wilder versus Parker. Yeah, Wilder versus Parker. Even if AJ beats him. like It's just it's ridiculous. And you see this across all divisions and all promotions and all that stuff. But um, it, it's, it's just part of the game. And... Um, you know, I think this l- does le- this does legitimize Wilder. I think I, I, th- I say it does. I think so too. Because here's the thing: even if Wilder looks just as technically unrefined as he has in the past, and still beats Ortiz, that doesn't mean well he's still super flawed and will lose. It what it means is like he's made it work. There are fighters like Manny Pacquiao who've risen through boxing on on fundamentals that aren't there or aren't what you expect from a world-level fighter. They're, but they make it work. Yeah, they're not traditional fighters. And if he can make it work, you know, whatever. It's fun. He knocks guys out, etc. Well, maybe windmills can generate the power of nuclear bombs. Think about that one. Hmm... I'm not really sure I see how that could happen because I don't think windmills generate that much power in city skylines. Like I have to put up like 25 windmills to match one coal plant. I was talking about Deontay Wilder. I know. I know. (laughs) Man, you had the the chance and you left me hanging. I just wanted to take you literally. So um, that's it for this week. That's all the topics. We had a lot of fights to cover. Um, We'll be back at our normally, regularly scheduled time. And um, if you don't follow us on social media, you should do that. Twitter, Instagram, Sunday underscore puncher. Leave a rating or review or share this podcast. If you like it, share it. Um, That helps. Or just write a review, okay? That really helps out. The Sunday Puncher Boxing on Facebook. Oh, yeah. We have Facebook. Um things happen over there i'm not like the best with facebook um that's not my domain i don't use facebook but definitely follow us on that 
because um, people do use Facebook. It's worth a lot of money, by the way. You know, what I would love to do is Snapchat. That's something that I like. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about how we could get into that. But besides, I don't know. Uh, besides sending all of uh, all of our followers dick pics, <laughs> Patreon subscribers, you will get exclusive dick pics. If you don't like you, you're like a little wizard with Snapchat. Like, please, like, or a, a wizard with um, uh, graphics on a video, let me know. You can maybe help me out with some stuff that, like, maybe we can do in Snapchat. Um, th- this is, like, a, a completely unrelated plug. But if you, if, like, you like Snapchat, and if I n- never had looked at those, you know how on the Discover page there's all those other Snapchat things? Yeah. So I looked at ESPN Snapchat. They do Sports Center on Snapchat. That's what they do for their or no, actually, Sports Center might have its own Snapchat account. Either way, it's brilliant, like really brilliant. Like this is like Sports Center how it needs to be consumed these days. Um, it's brilliant. And if we could come up with something like that for boxing, um, if you're listening to this, um, go watch it. Something like that for boxing, you would love it. I, I would love it. Um, and if, and if there's a way that we can do that and maybe you can help us, let us know and, um, we can work something out. Okay. So, um, that's it. We will be back next week. Patreon. What? Oh yeah. Patreon. You go, go to the Patreon, subscribe to us. We're coming out with a new podcast. There's been a lot of research going into it. And then we are at the point where we are going to record and release it. Um, I think next week getting the times is tough always to to hammer out these podcasts but um yeah this is going to be really fun and i think what we're going to do now is tell you what the subject is so what we're going to do is um we are going to review the entire year of 2008 um i don't know if it's month by month or card by card but basically every episode is going to be um we're going to go over what the boxing scene was like at that time what hmm. the storylines were what were Sounds people like talking a lot about of in the forums um and like we just just weird stories that kind of just nobody talks about anymore that they're still out there and there's guys that were fighting then that are still fighting now or that are still relevant now like Pauli Molinaji. like um you may not know this but he had a very um he had a particular <laughs> religious relevant. upbringing oh jesus christ <laughs> okay well that's that's enough of a preview. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening.